listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 479. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we discuss the Prime video, Lord of the Rings prequel, The Rings of Power. I guess we're not going to talk about the football game tonight, are we? No. Oh, my God. No. (laughs) I I don't even know what to say, but... uh, It was very upsetting. I think I... frightened my wife on more than one occasion yesterday but uh we'll just leave it at that if you want to know what the hell we're talking about uh just google baltimore ravens and something bad will come up um try baltimore ravens collapse oh my god yes yeah they're quicker oh my god stephen a smith um he just went off and i i'm I'm coming to like stephen a uh but he he just called it an embarrassment and that the Ravens defense better hope that Ed Reed and Ray Lewis don't show up at one of the practices because they're not (laughs) going to be happy. But uh, he ain't wrong, man. He is not wrong. All right. Anyway, if you guys want to contact us with some episode feedback, questions, whatever, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. If you want to record your own feedback the way Fred does each week, just send it as an audio file, preferably uh, uh, God, MP3, there we go. Yep. I was going to say JPEG, but uh, that ain't yeah, it. That's not an audio file. <laughs> um, Even right. I know that. Yeah. All right. Now, I'm going to really just throw something out real quickly for what I'm watching because I wanted to you know, give a little news shout out here. Um, my wife bullied me into watching Jamestown, which is on Prime Video, and it is a historical drama and i'm making air quotes with historical and and again as is that uh, jamestown new york no jamestown virginia uh, and as usually happens when i go into something i won't say i was kicking and screaming i you know i yeah <laughs> not 100 percent willingly maybe, right so. but at the end we got two episodes to go and i had to tell her you were right <laughs> now you know, it's not historically accurate, but it is rather compelling. Uh, one of the main villains was uh, your alley. Like they just go a couple minutes too long. And, yeah, forty. And they're out of your alley. Forty-two. I'm. I'm. You know, I'm on board. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it, it, for news, Doctor Who series thirteen. You know, we all know that uh, there's one more episode to go for the Jodie Whittaker era. I know there's one more. I just, at this point, I don't feel it. Well, you know, it finally has a title, though there's still no announced air date, though we... What the? What are they waiting well, for? Well, we know it's going to be in October. Right, October is like a couple of weeks away. And there are only four Saturdays in October if they air it on a Saturday. But anyway, so it's titled The Power of the Doctor. Leaks have also intimated that the regeneration scene may end up shocking fans as speculation runs that she may not morph into Shudi Gatwa's doctor and that she may regenerate into somebody else. What might that be? What, who might that be? Well, no pun intended there. I didn't do that on purpose. There are a number of former characters slated to return, including the 10th Doctor, David Tennant, and companion Catherine Tate. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep you guys apprised, but, and, and the title, The Power of the Doctor, I'm not really sure that tells us much. And, and uh, you know, the, the 
episode description at this point is so vague as to figure it was written by a politician. But anyway, that's all I got. All right. Um, well, I really am not watching anything new just now. I'm taking a, a serious stab at actually getting sleep during the week. But I did come back to years and years. I'd watched a couple episodes a couple weeks ago and then really haven't had time. And I watched another two episodes this weekend. And, you know, again, it's, you know, right now it's tough for me to say. It's it's very good drama, but it's like really like basically a family drama with a bit of a kind of dystopian future. But it's not even really a dystopian future, 100%. So I, I think it's just something I'll have to you know, really wait to judge at the end. Of it all, which is also a similar attitude I might have to Stranger in a Strange Land, which I'm going to have to pull out my 2001 A Space Odyssey card here and be the guy who says, how is this a classic? Um, What network is that on? 2001? No, Stranger in a Strange Land. I don't know. I'm reading the book. Oh, you're reading the book. That's right. You mentioned that last time. Okay, I got you. I'm... I'm, is there a show? I'm sure there probably maybe is a show know. out there. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's very dated and very, I guess, didactic would be the word, you know? Like when people just sit around having long, extended conversations about, you know, religion or, you know, it's like not even like trying to hide it. So, yeah, I, I know it's a classic for a reason. And, you know, again, maybe when I finish it at the end, I'll have a different attitude. But, Right now, I'm finding it difficult to uh, to get through it. Uh, you know, so fortunately, it's not that long. It's long enough, though, man. It's like <laughs> it's like almost 300 pages. I think I'm just like I've been reading it for so long now. It seems, and the live, you know, luckily the library just automatically renews the books nowadays. But uh, you know, it's just I'm just finding it very very difficult uh, to get through it, and so I don't know. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I I am not quit. I'm not going to quit. I will finish this book, and then, uh, you know, I mean, I, I figure if I read the entire Twilight series without really liking any of the books, I can just read this one book and get through it before I cast judgment down upon it. Well, I'm that way with the three-body problem, which is, uh, I think it won the Hugo Award in, you know, not too distant past, and, and I, I've mentioned before, it's been a few months, but I, I I'm not sure I still really know what the book is about. And I got 30 pages left, but <laughs> but it gets so bogged down in science that I, I you know, I, I, I'm like you, I'm going to finish it, but uh, I'm not sure how it won the Hugo award. I'll just, right. I'll just leave it at that. Um, I am in season four of the man in the high castle, by the way. So nice. the final season finally just got started awesome. with that, that uh, last night. Um, awesome, awesome. And, and then just one addendum about Jamestown, just, you know, because you guys out there know what we like. Uh, no nudity, minimal violence, n- minimal cursing. So uh, strike one, strike two, time. strike three. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it was pretty good. Um, I, I mean, the, the cool thing about it is, is... You know, Lucille Ball's from Jamestown. Is she? Yeah, okay. Jamestown, New York. Uh, okay. I mean, really, it... it, it centers it it takes place in 1619 and it follows these three women that have come from england basically as mail order brides 
and right. to watch the three of them adapt to their situations. They look around, it's just a, a bunch of dudes. It's, and just like, well, man. yeah, I think they were there without <laughs> women for like 12 years. I think they, yeah. they said in the show, but anyway, it, it really, the, the three women are fascinating. They, they really are. So, uh, anyway, are there, uh, 10,000 maniacs in it. Mm, I don't get the reference. No, oh, just another. They're a band. Well, I know they're, they're a band. Yeah, they're also from Jamestown, New York. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's get to something that I have a clue about. I think uh, Lord of the Rings: The Rings of Power, Episode Four, titled "The Great Wave," written by Stephanie Folsom, who was the showrunner and a writer for Paper Girls, which is a, a show that I've I've mentioned. Story by Thor. Oh, um, she also wrote the story for Thor Ragnarok, the movie. Uh, and then J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, who also wrote the pilot, directed by Wayne Chi Yip, who directed 103. And this one was released September 16th, 2022. Um, you know, another solid episode. I, you know, I, I hesitate to throw letter grades out already. And, you know, by the end, I might be thinking A minus, but, uh, you know, a solid episode. You know, still somewhat lacking for me, but uh, obviously the main story revolves around the future of Numenor and really a great opening scene with Queen Regent waking from a nightmare. uh, Yeah, but before that, like, we know this lady who seems like, you know, I don't know. I mean, she's just not our favorite character and she's like holding the baby and walking to the edge of the, the castle. I'd be like, Yo, hey, you can walk to the edge if you want, but leave the baby over here, man, you know? Yeah, and you, I guess you could also argue this is becoming a narrative device that we see over and over and over again that we think it's real and then, oh, it's a nightmare. Well, I mean, well, I didn't think it was real when well, she stand there and the flood starts rolling in. Well, yeah, then, but but – you know, well, up until then, yes. Right, up until then, and and even for a, a, a split second, we're we're thinking like, okay, um, where's Galadriel? Uh, you know, is she going to be able to escape this deluge? And and then, like you said, then we realize it's a uh, a nightmare. And and you, you know, we we also have a sense of what's going to happen <laughs> to Numenor. You know, how I knew it was a dream because there wasn't one person trying to get out there with the surfboard as that wave came in. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you, there's always at least one guy who's like, look at that wave, man. You know, like surfer for, for nothing. So, you anyway. have to throw the word dude in there at least once. Yeah. But uh, but the other thing we, we, we then see after this opening scene, the seeds of discord have been sown. There, you know, we get the guy in the street and he's getting the workers into this feverish pitch about – elves uh, that are going to take their jobs and 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 again we, we've talked about the 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 original lord of the rings being a metaphors for he certain was a things. minga oh okay um yeah make numenor great again oh <laughs> oh god please don't get me started i, I, love he, he, I mean he was he told no me, like, i agree all oh, the elves are gonna come and take your jobs it's just like the same thing from you know and like like even like the MAGA crowd. I mean, it's, it's absolutely nothing new, and this is something as old as time. That if you want to stir up 
xenophobia. It's pretty easy. You just the first thing you got to say is they're coming to take your jobs. And it's just so frightening that so much of our American population forgets what happened in Europe uh, in the 1930s and beyond. But elves are going to take their jobs, as you said, calls the queen an elf lover. And, and I guess the irony there is, aren't we to understand that the reason she became queen is because her father was right. seen as an elf lover. And then of course we, you know, we get the clarity on what his deal is. And that- as far as taunts go, elf lover doesn't seem that like harsh. Uh, no, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't, but, uh, well, you know, it was funny. Like, and this is about, cause I, the both times I watched that, like this went through my mind because she has the dream. Like, well, first of all, she's there with like some ceremony with like children and everything. And then she has the dream of the, you know, the flood. And then like her lady in waiting is like, um, like, Oh, what business would you begin with? And I'd be like, well, first of all, cancel the effing kid ceremony. You <laughs> know? I'm not taking my chances. Yeah. Um, But, you know, what do you think about Galadriel? I mean, we talked last time about her people skills and how you almost think, like, even though we know she's going to survive, how does she not get killed somewhere along the way? How does somebody not take a broadsword and remove her head from her body (laughs) at some point? She's pretty abrasive. Oh, my God. Um, and she's so it's it's so funny because well I mean you know this is a I wouldn't say a variant but a young Galadriel and when we see her in the Lord of the Rings she's so different you know like she couldn't be any more different now than the character she will become you know far far into the future so yeah and and once she's brought before the queen explains the true identity of Halbrand, which, you know, not unexpectedly, the queen has her doubts as to uh, the veracity of that statement. But then when she asks the queen to unite his people under her banner because of, you know, the, the evil that, that she feels Sauron is going to, you know, bring about, I mean, she's got to convince basically this queen of a peace-loving isolationist people to put their lives on the line right for somebody else that that they don't really know about nor really care about and and you understand why because hey we backed the elves you backed sauron why should we help you yeah well and also you know for galadriel she remembers firsthand the the war with Sauron and everything. But I think we probably maybe have said this before. These humans, they don't know it firsthand at all. To them, it's just a story. Sure. Right? So when she tries to get them worked up and tries to say, hey, Sauron's back. The big evil is back. They're like, ah, you know. Not so much. Know. Yeah, not so much. You know, it's it's a story. It happened a long time ago. Uh, you know doesn't seem to really affect me right now so yeah but but like you know we said on a number of occasions with the elves with their long lives the perception of these things is completely different right and i i loved the way the the next sequence transpires because she's like oh you know what let me talk to somebody that's really in charge queen regent because clearly you're not and then she's in a jail cell next to yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. classic you know okay fine that might be a trope, but 
That was a good one. It was good. Yeah. It was very funny too. And, and for a show that, you know, it does have humor in there. Actually, you know, there's, there's sometimes it's not it's not so in love with itself. It's just completely serious all the time. So that was a nice little uh, funny moment there. Yeah, and then he's like. You know, you might want to alter your approach with the queen. And she's like, yeah, okay, fine. What should I do? He's got some ideas. But all of a sudden, the guards come and they take her before the queen, who's decided to send her back to her people. Right. Well, just in this, you know, Hallbrand, as we've said before, is much more savvy with the ins and outs of court life and dealing with people. You know, Galadriel is, you know, she's very ham-fisted. And, you know, he's like, listen, what what pissed her off? You know, what got you locked up down here? And, you know, he kind of walks her back through it and realizes that a lot of the stuff that she said, even the very kind of rebellious stuff, the queen didn't really bat an eye. But the minute she said, I want to see your father, I want to see the guy in charge, that's when she got locked up. So, that, you know, it's like, okay. So there's her, her biggest fear. There's the thing she's worried about. Yeah. I want to see the new man in charge. See, you don't get that reference. I don't get that one, now. That was the 20-minute epilogue that Lost released online after the final episode. Ah, um, okay. But, okay, so... She subdues the guards, which was a great scene. And, and, you know, the action sequences have been, as I've mentioned last time, really tightly drawn and okay, fine. Maybe a little bit unbelievable that she's going to take down five guards, but you know, whatever. She's an elf and she's a warrior. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, you know, you always wonder, well, it's like, didn't these guys train as well? I mean, aren't. Yeah, but not for thousands of years. Yeah. Okay. Good point. But uh, so she breaks into the king's tower thinking she's going to talk to the man in charge. She finds the queen. You know, we don't know what his problem is. Is he, you know, just old and, 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 you know, ill health or, you know, whatever. But, but clearly he's in no condition to, you know. Well, I would just like to interject at this point because what she reveals to, um, to Galadriel is uh, one of the Palantir, I think they're called. Yeah, right, right, and right, right. we see that in Lord of the Rings because Denethor uh, has one and it's affecting his health as Oh, well. okay. Oh, good, good. If I, I remember, or am I getting him confused with the other king? Well, you know, I mean, there's a- sh- Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, well there's a shocking line- that Galadriel enters, and, I, and I'm not really being sarcastic about this. When she sees the scene in front of her, she says, Forgive me, I did not know. And that's so unlike Galadriel to this point. Right. And then, you know, of, of course, you, you mentioned the, the Palantiri and, and, you know, it's Numenor's future that you saw. And of course, that, you know, we see that tidal wave sequence again and 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 whether it's a metaphor for how Numenor gets destroyed or you know whether it's going to be an actual uh flood or tidal wave or whatever it is um you know we don't know but but the queen tells her the vision begins with your arrival and and you know we go through this okay is the queen's decision to not help based on fear and short-sightedness well 
okay, yeah, I mean, maybe, and, and, yeah. and, and that's, you know, sometimes the, the, the ruler has to make the hard call. I mean, that's, you know, why they're the ruler, because they are able to make that decision for her people. And sometimes that's the best decision. Sometimes it's, you know, no, we need to help somebody else, you know, maybe just altruistically, but maybe it's that, you know what, if, if we don't help, we could be next. And, right. and of course, that's a, a, a legitimate fear for sure. Well, especially if you're having, well, and again, you know, she's having these nightmares of, and she, these visions through the Palantiri of the destruction of Numenor. So, you know, she might be less hesitant to get involved in a major war. Well, yeah, and, and you understand, and she's going to have to convince her people that. And now you mentioned it's it's been a while; they only know these stories about you know the the war and 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 the elves and you know whatever caused the rift the uh, rift between them. I must say, I was a little surprised. Galadriel's placed on the rowboat that's you know going out to the to the bigger ship. And then clearly the queen has had second thoughts, announces she's going to raise an army. And that was pretty darn cool. I mean, you know, we've been a little iffy about how we like the, the queen regent, but I'm, I'm liking her a lot more now because, you know, I, I think she, you know, it, she just instinctively knows this is the right thing to do. Well, and, and, you know, again, it's something, and I, I feel like I'm going to refer to Lord of the Rings a lot, so I apologize. But it's something we saw in Lord of the Rings a lot, where the, the ruler is hesitant to get involved because it's easier to sit behind your walls, like in, in Rohan, right? Sure. Like, it's easier just to hide behind the walls. Um, there's no way they can't get in here. We'll just stick it out, take care of our own. And, you know, part of the, this thing, and again, and you can't help but feel that you know Tolkien's experience especially World War 1 led to this you know you can't just sit on the sideline right you can't just hope the evil goes away and i'm not saying that of course Tolkien probably saw Germany as a big evil i'm not saying that. i'm not taking the big stance here but in, from his perspective you know like you, you can't just sit back and hope for the, that evil will just kind of go away on its own if you let evil thrive it's going to thrive Right. And next thing you know, they're giving speeches in Ohio. But yeah, um, yeah and, and I, I just love that about this, this final scene, you know, in, in this main story about the future of Numenor. But, but you've mentioned, and I didn't make the connection, about Isolder. So what do you think about him and, and what transpires with his storyline? Right. Well, I mean, Isildur is one of the greats, right? He's one of the great heroes. He will defeat Sauron. He will grab the ring of power. Ultimately will make the wrong choice though, in the end, which allows Sauron to continue and allows the evil of the ring to also continue. So, you know, I guess if we, we get that, you know, in, in that case, we look and say he is an impulsive young guy right now. He's, a, you know, a teenager. Um, he doesn't make, great decisions but he's also kind of a dreamer and also someone that clearly people naturally follow so we see some of the it you know the early stuff but it's still so 
he's still so young and it's still so early. Like he bears like no resemblance at this point to the great hero that he will become. Right now, I mean, we could say that he loses focus during the sea trial, but you know, when I look at that scene again, I'll almost feel that he just does it deliberately. He does do it deliberately. Okay, okay. and and yeah. and nearly gets others killed and his friends get kicked off the sea guard and, and, you know, maybe because of what you said that, that the, uh, I don't know, is he a captain? I can't remember the, you know, the, the, the boss understands that he's a leader. And, and, you know, if, if the leader is going to do that, well, I know these two guys are, are really close to him. I'm going to make a point and, and you're, yeah. you, you two are gone as well. And we do get the sense that he does, feel a certain sense of entitlement because of who his father is and his friends who are understandably are pissed bring yeah. that up that well this is one buddy's like i've i've been working for this my entire life this is all i've ever wanted to do for you you haven't had to work at all for you. it's just been handed to you so it doesn't mean anything to you and he's right yeah yeah um and then uh his sister arian uh, you know, I, I don't want to say that she seems to kind of be a throwaway character at this point because uh, I certainly feel that uh, you know, I say something like that in the next episode, her character is going to do something epic or whatever. You know, but at this point, she's beginning her apprenticeship. Uh, Cayman obviously likes her, asks her to you know to dinner after they keep bumping into each other. But I I think he planned these. Uh, encounters and then she learns that her brother's been dismissed and and uh you know, this whole desire of his to head west okay okay whatever i mean you know you, you said he's a dreamer and and that's fine and and he is a young man still but he's not that young to you know to, to not recognize that letting go of the rope was effing dangerous yeah and he's not the only one that could have been impacted by that. So absolutely. Well, yeah, he, he wasn't right. The, right. No one physically got hurt, but right, yeah, right. his actions had consequences that he didn't even stop to consider. He just no. did it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anything else about the Numenor story? No, I just loved it. Okay. All right. <laughs> so yeah, cool. it was, it was good. And, and as, as Fred says, like, oh man, just like every shot in Numenor is just, freaking gorgeous yeah man. oh yeah there's no question and and again it's one of those facts we're just going to you know just probably belabor the point over and over again but uh yeah uh, even though it was brief the dwarves and their new precious ore was a pretty cool storyline even though we only get two quick scenes with uh, elrond and Selembra or who are watching as the elves and the dwarves are working together build the tower but there's something else going on because Durin is nowhere to be seen. Elrond's trying to find out where he is. We know his wife is not telling him the truth, and he knows she's not telling him the truth as well. Just these little tidbits about we're making good progress in the old mine. Well, okay, what's what's going on with that? How did Elrond know where to go, first of all? Did he just overhear something? Well, I, I'd say... You know, the, because he also knew, like, the password as well. Right. Um, that it seems like, you know, he's 
has some passing familiarity with where he is. Right. Now, now you may know the answer to this. Fred brings it up in his feedback, and I thought it was brilliant. Um, it's a new ore, and this is why so much secrecy is involved. It's very difficult and dangerous to mine. It's lighter than silk, harder than iron. Duran thinks it could change his people's future. So, you know, we get then why all the secrecy and Fred mentions, oh, I wonder if this is what they're going to make the rings out of. I'm like, it, it is not. Oh, okay. But he was right in that uh, Frodo was given a chain mail made of mithril. Oh, okay. That saved him uh, in, uh, at least once, if not. I'm, I, I think in the books, like probably multiple times, he was saved by the, the, the chain mail. It's a super light, super strong metal uh, that the, only the dwarves can mine and fashion and so stuff made out of it's like really super uh, the like it's like, not expensive but you know like very rare and precious okay um fred was right about something else not related to this episode we'll, we'll talk about that uh in a little bit but uh there's a cave in and it was so cool when we see Disa singing to the rocks to release the trapped men and that whole idea, I mean, it, it, it had a very native American feel and maybe that's because I've been, you know, I've watched 38 episodes of Jamestown, but, but that whole idea that, you know, the native Americans have of becoming one with the land and, and really, you know, having this, this reverence towards it. And, and, and I got the same kind of, idea with with uh, the dwarves and and the rocks and and of course nobody's hurt and you know maybe you say well that's kind of lord of the rings nobody nobody gets hurt or whatever and all right we'll see regardless the king shuts down the mine that that's Durin's father and father and son relationships are, are certainly becoming a big part of this series and, and you know so whether um you know it, it's uh durin and his father or uh isolder and his father and and you know you, just all of these people galadriel um so so we don't know exactly where this is going to head but cool scene where the father and son you know they got this difficult relationship and part of it is i guess that the father knows someday that his son is going to take his place and, and he needs to be well prepared for it. And, you know, we'll see, <laughs> which made me think right. that Queen Elizabeth is sort of like the elves and that uh, yeah. Charles had to wait 70 years to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was, you know, like a cool little like father-son type thing and, and like very kind of stereotypical stances of the relationship that the younger guy who's very frustrated and thinks you know i i can't do anything right by this guy and then the other father says you know what i'm hard on you all those times it's you know i was i was actually proud of you and i was hard on you because i care about you and i want you you know so it's kind of like maybe like this very traditional kind of relationship and we see between you know a parent and a child um, but still kind of, uh, you know, warm my heart a little bit. Well, well, yeah. And then there's also that 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 kind of dilemma there about why Elrond's father sent him there in the first place. And, 
you know, Duran's and Duran's father, they're a bit concerned about that. And, and of course, Duran's father wants him to find out that, that he doesn't really believe that that's all it is. So whether he, he thinks that Elrond's father knows about this precious or that they've discovered or, you know, whatever it is, is it going to turn out to be innocent? And Elrond is just really there to see his friend and, I don't know. Yeah. Seemed that would be too easy, I think, but. Right. Well, you know, you also get like a, a definitely a sense from Elrond that he, as you mentioned, he's also kind of working through, you know, issues with his father. You know, he talks about how his father was, you know, a great warrior and accomplished things and was, uh, went west to uh, the, the Valar, right? Um, and so he, wasn't you know we get a sense of of regret and loss that he wasn't able to or he's not able to speak to his father anymore and he kind of brings that up to 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 durin like hey you know your dad's here you can still talk to him and everything you know like i don't have that luxury erinder meets adar um you know we we only get the one brief scene and he wants him to deliver a message to the humans. We don't hear it at this point. I mean, we, we learn what it is later. They yeah. Swear fealty to Adar and everybody will live, even though we know that's not what's yeah. going to happen, whether There's they no do way or not. In no way. Um, but what's the deal with Adar? I mean, he almost looks elvish, half human, half elf, or am I just seeing something? Is he just an... Well, uh, no, he has, you know, elvish ears and he speaks the language. So, and he, he knows the, uh, the, the place that Aaron Deer is from. So my theory is he's an elf. Okay. Not as much of a theory. I think that's pretty, you know, I think it's, it's pretty much, unless he's got some kind of crazy shape-shifting spell on or something. Okay. Um, but I, I also... I'm feeling like he's not Sauron. Okay. You know, just because they they kind of built it up. And, like, they even, I think, had said something specifically in the previous episode. I can't remember. Um, But either way, we, you know, we, I, I should say I, um, had a pretty strong sense of certainty about myself that, all right, this guy, Sauron. So now I find myself in kind of Sauron hunting mode, like where's Waldo kind of, and it's like everyone can be Sauron, you know, like is Theo Sauron, is that old guy Sauron? Is... All right, well, I've got a... I don't know, but uh, but it, it was kind of a, an interesting uh, character. And again, like the build up to him and even having his name as the, the episode. And as, like you said, so far all we've gotten is really kind of like the one scene with him. Yeah. All right, here's my I, I, crackpot theory isn't even strong enough, okay? All right. Half human, half elf. You say elf. I say Vulcan. Oh, there you go. Sauron, who was Spock's father. Sarek. Sarek, Sauron. So it all falls into it place. It all falls into place. I mean, wow, were the okay. vault, you know, are the elves descendants? 
of the Vulcans or are the I'm just kidding. Are but the Vulcans uh, the of the yeah, elves. Yeah, yeah, you know. All right. You never know. You like never, it could be the big twist at the end of this. Yeah, the fact that this was written in the forties and you know, twenty five years before Star Trek. Ah, right. So, right. Coincidence. Time travel. All right. Anyway, Bronwyn leads the humans to safety and you know, we've talked about the 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 father son dilemmas that we've seen and and the one with bronwyn and theo is is pretty cool as well you know at this point we don't know who his father is and you know we may never know who that is but you know theo wants to make a food run because we see that they feel that they're relatively safe behind these walls but they don't have any food or or they have so little and you get that mom is reluctant to let him go I mean, I don't want to say he's still a boy. I mean, what is he, like 15, 16, do you think? Um, maybe, uh, I don't know what he's supposed to be. He looks like 14, 15. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, and again, in this society, you know, we don't know how long people live, right. but probably not in their 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, anyway, he and Rowan go anyway, despite the fact that, that she forbid him from doing it. And we see all these dead sheep along the way, and it's like, okay, okay. And, and then we we don't necessarily see how they got it all, but you know, he's got the wheelbarrow full of food, and clearly they're successful. And again, um, trite plot device. Okay, you know, you got a twenty-one point lead, just take it home. But no, <laughs> he wants to go into the tavern, and. Rowan got some splaining to do. I will say that, uh, yeah. you know, because he balks about going in, figures their luck may not hold out. And, and of course he was right, but dude just abandoned him there. Just rolls out on his buddy. I yeah. mean, I not don't cool at all. No. And, and you know, it's going to be a while before he's got an answer to Theo and, what we've seen of Theo thus far leads us to think that maybe Theo is going to let him off the hook more easily than he should be let off but you know regardless uh well you know theo's got like the mark of sorrow yeah so 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 here and fred brings this up in his feedback and 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 it didn't occur to me when i was watching it but you know it makes i mean i was gonna say it makes perfect sense we don't have the answer and fred raises the question we know he's got the hilt we've suspected it's the the hilt of of you know, Sauron's sword. How does he know how to activate it? That's that's a good question. And um, you know, Fred also asked that question as well. And my feeling is that he doesn't. That he just it just happens. Well, it's like he jams it into his arm or something. I, I wasn't sure. I watched it several times, and and I mean, it almost looks like he jams the one thing into his arm, and then the next thing you know, the blade comes out, and then he's wielding it like a normal sword, even though we don't really see him take it out of his arm. So regardless of, of I guess, the details, the you know, is it just instinct? Is it something about holding the hilt in his hand has some sort of an effect on him and i I guess arguably whoever would have been holding it that that that's how he well no matter what it is the fact that you're able to like activate sauron's sword is not good no no 
at all. And he's a dopey teenager, so you know well, he's going to make stupid decisions. Yeah, although he has the wherewithal to jump in the well to hide yeah. from Adar's orcs. So uh, solid call yeah, that one. You know, yeah. so uh, you know he's down there for a while. Rowan returns with the food, which everybody's happy about. But oh yeah, where's Theo? And and you know he. Oh Theo! Oh yeah, that dude. Yeah. So, what did happen to him? That's so weird. Right. So you know Theo's about to get killed, and Arendir comes to the rescue. Enter do sex machina. Yeah, um, and so they're going to head for the watchtower, which is you know where she's got. Uh, everybody hold up. They just got to run for the sunlight right. first. Now we've talked about the hero's journey and I, I don't necessarily think we needed to see Aaron Deer do this to support his heroism. But when he, look, I'll hold him off. You go. And for all he knows that I'm going to hold him off and I'm going to get killed, but Theo will get back to his mother. And then we go back to the fact that we know he is in love with Bronwyn and he would clearly lay down his life for her, which is what but he's think, willing to do. You know, like if something happens to the kids, it probably makes it a little bit easier. Well, right. But at least he tried, you know, yeah. you know, so uh, nah, it was awesome. Like, are you just, at first I'm like, he's got a bow and arrow or he's got a bunch of arrows in the bow. Right. And there's like a, you know, butt ton of orcs. Right. Uh, this, I don't think I don't see how this is going to work out for him. Right but, now, you know. Bronwyn appears as the fight's escalating, but like like you said, how's this going to work out in their favor? But you know, you mentioned Twilight, and you know, like uh, vampires, the orcs can't go out in the sunlight. So, right. All- right, and with fortuitously, the sun comes out. You know, right as they are running into that field. Right, but then the old dude tells Theo, "I know you stole the hilt." from my barn and you know again not that we needed the old guy to tell us the fact that that this hilt possesses dark powers so the question is is it going to overwhelm theo you know i mean is mom going to learn and and aaron dear are they going to learn that he's got this or is he going to try to keep it hidden from them he's definitely going to try to keep it hidden but ultimately you know they're going to find okay is that part of the dark power you know the the i mean he's a good kid i mean well, is he oh well okay all right <laughs> fair fair point um i mean that, that was like we say you know i mean that was a legit like good thing he did going out to get food for people but uh you know i don't i i can't remember because we really didn't see him last episode i just remember him being kind of like a little annoying like in the first two episodes so. okay but we'll see. Okay. I, I, leave, I leave my, I will reserve my 100% judgment for later. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else you want to bring up? Well, it's cool uh, with Duran's wife. She like sang the song that the rocks would release the miners who were trapped. And it did. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I, I, I love her. She's awesome. I think Fred mentions her in his feedback as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. Um, well, the, the little speech at the end and, um, Ellen Dill is like, first of all, the guy who plays Ellen Dill has like the coolest deep voice ever. Like I was just, he said something during the, ep- like in the beginning of the episode and I kept trying to like mimic how he said, it. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get low enough, you know, in my base, but, uh, 
you know, when they, they have the speech of like, who will serve? And everyone's like, I will serve, you know, and even though, you know, Sealdor is not the first person that raises his hand, you know, again, here's this guy that we know is, is going to be probably the great hero of this war that's coming on. And, uh, he's not the first one to, to volunteer his buddy is. Yeah. Yep. There's also the tree that with the white leaves, uh, and the, you know, the queen regent knows that when the leaves fall, then they're, you know, the bad doo-doo is on the way. Yep. And so we see, you know, then that was a big part of her dream or her nightmare, I guess. Um, was seeing the, the you know the leaves falling from the tree all over the place and everything. Yeah, Aaron Deere is really becoming the badass. Um, the the Palantiri, like I said, we, you know, we saw those. We knew that that was a way that Sauron was able to control like Saruman and uh, Denethor as well, and uh, I believe Pippin um, takes like looks into one and. Almost, you know, kind of has a little moment with Sauron before uh, Gandalf covers it up. So, I mean, we know that these things again are uh, powerful magical objects that we've we have seen before in the future. I think that might be really cool to see the 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 discovery of Mithril. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. All right, you want to go on to listener feedback? Sure. All right. Well, we got a couple Facebook posts that we want to take a look at, and the first is from Alan Thomas. And he's posting about Archive, and he says, I ordered the DVD from Netflix when I saw you guys were covering it and just finished watching it this morning. I'm so conflicted about this movie. My first reaction when I just finished it was to think the ending had boosted it from a solid B-minus sci-fi robotics movie to A-minus level. But then I thought about it more and wondered if I should actually downgrade it based on the ending. And he points out spoilers to follow. Ordinarily, I don't like it when movies have more than one major twist, and even one can be suspect. This one has two. For a couple of minutes, we get the twist of, oh, turns out he's actually kind of the villain. But before we've really had much of a chance for that to really sink in, we learn that he's actually just dead or dying. And usually I hate it was all a dream stories. There's a Tim Robbins movie that I won't name so as to not spoil it that comes to mind. Yet right when this one ended, I was giddy with how cool it was that they totally got me. But listening to your conversation got me mulling it over and wondering if maybe my usual objection to this kind of ending does in fact apply. Because here's the thing. Obviously, the aspect of the film dealing with the archive company and calls with his dead wife had to be in there. The twist at the end would be completely out of left field and basically incomprehensible without that element of the plot. And it also makes sense to have some of the over-the-top elements like the gun, the blade runner, security guy, and so on. Those make a lot of sense in hindsight as his imagination's running wild. But the whole aspect that seemed to be the main plot of the film with him building this succession of artificially intelligent robots observing how the teenage model dealt with jealousy and ultimately attempted suicide is actually irrelevant to the real underlying story. It could have been removed and replaced with something else, like more scenes of working to try to fix the facility as it's falling apart, more calls with his wife, whatever. So it's kind of weird to have what could stand as an interesting story in its own right turn out to be totally nothing. 
He didn't build those robots. He didn't secretly have a kind of villainous motive. None of that was real. None of it really had any bearing on the archive plot. You guys continued to talk about some of the implications of those storylines as if they were real because they raised interesting questions and because large sections of the movie aren't even worth talking about otherwise. Good point. But that's unfortunately the price of making this cool, mind-blowing twist. Your whole robot AI plot becomes irrelevant. And any nitpicks we might have, any questions about how this or that might work or whether something makes sense, those become irrelevant too because, quote, it's all a dream. So as you can see, I'm sort of talking myself into being mad at this movie, but I can't deny that I was delighted with it as the closing credits rolled. Very weird. Can't remember ever having this take on a movie. I can recall movies that had really cool elements and others that had at least partly ruined them. I can recall movies that seemed great and were ruined by a poor final act, but I can't remember thinking simultaneously that the ending was either awesome or ruined the movie, and I'm not sure which. By the way, yes, Theo James is in fact British, at least according to Wikipedia. And I think he sums it up perfectly about the ending. You know, I mean, it was either great or terrible. And yes, and I think there's enough going on in the movie. There's enough us thinking about some of these AI, you know, theoretical and ethical issues that make it worthwhile, even though it wasn't real. We were still thinking about it. Yeah, that's kind of the point I was yeah. going to say. I think that what matters is that they were kind of exploring this idea of of AI and his you know his Dr. Frankenstein like descent into kind of madness or whatever. So I think the fact that in the end it's you know not even real all of that, I don't think that 100% takes away from you know what they're trying to do with the movie itself though I do agree that you know it, to some degree it does a little bit because when you you do think back you're like oh there was there was never any artificial intelligence it was all just in his mind, you know. Right. Um, so, but but I, I I feel like that still doesn't detract from from the strong points of that movie and and how that movie, like you said, got me to really think about those issues of and of course you know like which are not necessarily new issues about AI and but the unique aspect of having that upgrade and you know having like the the one android that he made saying, well, how come you can't make me better like that, you know, and everything. And then ultimately, even his uh, his ultimate creation still feels like, well, wait, how, how am I not good enough? You know, wait, you know, why can't I be good enough? So Yeah. All right. Well, Ben Mason also checked in via the Facebook group, and he says, I've just seen episodes one through three of uh, The Rings of Power and listened to your show. This has to be a no, but is there any chance that Meteor Guy is Tom Bombadil? He seems to be able to control the Fireflies, which might speak to Tom's strong connection with the natural world, although the Fireflies dropping dead seems to defy that. I believe the books say that he's as old as the Earth itself, so that kind of introduction to Middle Earth wouldn't really make sense. I believe it's probably just wishful thinking. (laughs) But... I didn't think about Tom Bombadil, but, you know, as, as Ben says, probably a no. But, uh, you know, at this point, we're just throwing stuff out there. And 
you know, somebody's going to be right. Yeah, and I thought I had replied to that one, but I'm not seeing my reply, so I don't know what happened there. But you know, basically what I said is I, I love that idea. I don't think that it is. I am still pretty up in the upper 90s percent sure that it's Gandalf. That being said, probably the – see, well, this is a good question because does – is Tom Bombadil an awesome character? Yes. Can he be also slightly annoying? Yes. Uh, he sings like all the time. Um, so, but that being said, uh, I think it would be pretty cool for us to, to see Tom Bombadil because Peter Jackson completely wrote him out of the Lord of the Ring movies entirely. So there's, there's no Tom Bomb. If you've just seen the movies, you have no idea what we're, we're talking about. All right, well, let's hear what Fred's got for us, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Season 1, Episode 4. I liked it that there was not too much Harefoots, not too much Hobbits, because last time I said I found that story less intriguing, although I know it's actually Wayne's thing. I found the Galadriel story much more intriguing and it became even more, especially the interaction between Galadriel and the Regent Queen. It's known that Numenor will be destroyed, but is it really going to happen like this with a flood like this? Or is that just a symbol for the downfall of Numenor and it will happen in quite a different way? Knowing that that will happen is actually quite a sad idea because it's so lovely there. It's the world building and the city and the harbor, etc. is so, so beautiful. I found the orcs story and Theo a little bit more interesting than last time. A little more tension, of course. Nice to see Arondir and Bronwyn back. I'm really wondering if the role of the Theo will be a big role. Well, actually, he already has a big role, because he has Sauron's sword. I have a question about Sauron's hilt. It's not a complete sword, it's just a hilt. To start with, I had to look up the word hilt, I didn't know it. But how did Theo know that he should connect this hilt to his arm, probably to his blood, to get the extension of the dagger or the sword? How did he know that? And then the next question is, he got a scar or something like that from it. And that old guy in the Watchtower Fortress also has some kind of scar there. Did he use this thing? And is that actually the reason why Theo could find it under the floor there in his village? So the question is, how did he know what he had to do? The blurry face we saw of Adar becomes more clear and many people had the idea it was kind of elf-like. Uh, I think it is. It's also when he is talking about his history to Arondir, very ominous is of course that he says, I'm not a god and then not yet. So will he become Sauron? I don't know the history well enough if Sauron was already there. If I remember well, Galadriel is already talking about Sauron, so not somebody is becoming Sauron. Sauron is already walking on Middle-earth. Oh man, this history, this is so complex. I tried to read some things on the 
Lord of the Rings wiki, but it doesn't make it better. There are so many referrals to other things that you have to click on and click on and read on and read on and still you get lost. It's like if you wouldn't know anything about Star Trek and then start to read Memory Alpha. And then we have, of course, the dwarf story. I think that Princess Daisa, the wife of Prince Durin, is terrific, really great. I wonder if that ore that the dwarves found, that special ore, is needed for making the rings. I think Bilbo had a vest or a, or a shirt made of mitril that protected him in battle. So light and very unpenetrable. Uh, what I think is also great, by the way, is all the garment, all the clothes, especially on Numenor. If you see that robe of the regent, um, really outstanding. And although they didn't like that elf that much, they also gave Galandriel some clothes and they were also very, very nice. So it's not only the scenery, but it's also the clothes that is very nice. Okay, that will be all for now. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Fred, I got to agree with you. The Harfoot story is the least interesting for me. Uh, you know, they're great characters, but, you know, right now it's, it's I, I don't know. Look, look, we, we've said many times, I think, you know, Wayne agrees with me on this. We like dark shows we you know we like dark characters and and you know they're just the antithesis of that i think what i really love about this storyline however the harfoots is the idea that down the road will they be tempted by evil and will you know that you know, make their merry band of pranksters somehow funda- like you work that in there. fundamentally change. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to apologize for my love of the Harfoots and the Hobbits. I just think there's something innately beautiful about them, and uh, like they're just like not beautiful, like just like about the 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 way that they see life and everything, and and you know, like again, I think just. I, I know I've said this a bunch, so I won't, but just, I just really like the beginning of, of Fellowship of the Rings and everything and that pastoral quality of, of, of their lives. But, but then again, I, I, you know, I also will not deny that. Like, I mean, obviously the Numenor plot line is the most compelling to me. I think the most compelling plot line uh, in the show right now. And just like, as you said, I'll say once again, visually beautiful. Um, but uh, you know, I, I kind of have to agree and disagree with, with the Harfoot uh, issue there. Yeah, and, and, you know, you mentioned visually beautiful, and we've talked about that on a number of occasions. Fred also points out uh, the clothing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's with everything else around you, I think it's sometimes easy to not notice, you know, the uh, the clothing that the different characters wear and and – of course, I guess you might say for a billion dollars, they they ought to have nice clothes. Right. Um, I mean, yeah. Right. Now we, you're making the most expensive show ever. Right. So, yeah. right. So, Better look good. Yep. Um, all right. Anything else about Fred's feedback? He had said. I think I insinuated before, but I didn't address it directly. Whether um, the the flooding dream, whether that is like literally what will happen in Numenor, or whether it's just like a metaphor. And I don't. I know. I mean, we all know that Numenor 
is not around in the Lord of the Rings, uh, that it's been destroyed. Now, whether it was done by, you know, natural causes by a flood or by just, you know, decay and, and the, the time and, you know, just uh, as a civilization crumbled, I would tend to lean towards it's the literal thing. It's not, you know, she's not seeing the literal destruction of Numenor. She's just witnessing a metaphor representing Numenor's downfall. But I don't know for sure whether it is or not. That was a good question. Yeah. Yeah, no question. I mean, um, I guess it could also be destroyed by a dragon. But yeah. <laughs> maybe that's the wrong show. But yeah, yeah, I think it's the wrong show. All right. Well, anyway. Uh, yeah. Well, just also one more thing. It's okay. just, you know, Fred mentioned the, the Lord of the Rings wiki. And that is, he is right. That is super dense. Like, that's just a rabbit hole. Like, I, every, every once in a while I'll be like, Oh, let's let me look up Numenor. It's like has the whole history of it, and it's just like, oh my god, this is definitely a rabbit hole. I just fell down. I am, I gotta, I gotta just close this page down so I get some work done. Okay. All right, what do you want to go for with a grade? I, I want to say A, but I want to just kind of reserve. I still, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go A minus. Okay, I'm still in the B plus range. So okay, well you're wrong, but that's I, <laughs> it. Won't be the first time. <laughs> Um, no, nah, I just I, I thought this was a really strong episode. It was really good. Again, you know, just it was over before I realized it. You know, like so much happened there and everything. Um, they have like lots of action. They have humor. Uh, they have all kinds of good stuff. No Harfoots this time, but you know, yeah, can't be perfect. Okay, all right. Well, we mentioned last week that we know what we're going to do next after Lord of the Rings. And Fred, you were correct in your guess, even though I gave you a pretty darn vague answer as to whether or not you were correct. Uh, <laughs> but what are we doing next? We are going to do The Peripheral, which is the new series by Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy. And it's also on uh, Prime Video, I believe. Yes, right. it will be on. It'll be a pro- I think it's right. It's like. Well, it takes the slot of Lord of the Rings, I believe, right? Um, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. I just assume because the the one is ending, the other one's beginning right after that. So. Right. It does come uh, or it drops on October 21st, which is a Friday. So, okay. Well, so, there you go. Yeah. So, uh, so it looks cool. It, it looks like there's uh, um, time travel involved, and that's really all I know about Cool, cool people doing cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. And we'll leave it at that. All right, Fred, you were correct. So, uh, and it's a Joy and Nolan joint. Oh, my so, God, yeah, you know, like, yeah. So if you liked Westworld. Um, which I do. Which you do, and I do. But uh, anyway, that'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about The Lord of the Rings. Anything else going on in your genre world, check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about episode five of Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. But until then, you know, before we finish here, Dave, I just got to ask you, is there anything else you want to ask about theory? No, 